All right. All right. Well, so uh, it's hot. I'm going to get loud, so it needs to come down. Um, so we are excited. We, we do want to, as, as we kind of transition into our sermon, Matthew chapter 6. As you're turning to chapter, we finally made it, yeah. After six months in chapter 5, we've moved on to chapter 6. Now, to get to it, again, take your Bibles if you haven't. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. When we started this series, uh, if you remember back that far, we had two chairs on stage. Does anybody remember that sermon? Two chairs on stage. One represented the kingdom of God, and one represented the kingdom of this world. So one represented the kingdom of this world, and in this kingdom, guess who's king? Yeah, we are. We're the king of our own world, right? Everything we say goes. We do what we want, when we want, how we want. We treat everyone any way we want to treat them. We, we wake up every day, and it's our agenda, our plans, our dreams. We worship the triune God of ourselves, me, myself, and I, right? The motto sitting in the kingdom of the world is this, just be you. Don't let anyone ever change you because you're perfect just the way you are. That's the motto for the kingdom of self, kingdom of the world. But there's another chair that was here that represented the kingdom of God. And this seat is in complete opposition to our kingdom. In this kingdom, Jesus is king, right? In this kingdom, we are not the hero. We are the sinner. We're not perfect. We are very much flawed. We don't say trust your heart. Your heart is deceitful. It deceives you. It's wicked, Jeremiah says. No, God's kingdom demands change from us. In fact, God's kingdom demands death of ourselves so that we can find life in Christ. It's in this seat of God that we submit to all that God is and all that God has done through the work and person of Jesus, and we commit our lives to loving and serving others as our King has loved and served us. So this sermon from Jesus that he gives in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is revealing to us what it looks like to sit in God's kingdom, to rest in God's kingdom, to, to, to be a men and women of God's kingdom. Now, here in our specific passage today, Jesus is going to give us a very healthy balance of expectations from his kingdom movement and the kingdom motives of our hearts. We have clearly seen in the Sermon on the Mount thus far, Jesus addresses the heart much more than he addresses the actions of his followers. Are you kidding me? The first 12 verses, the Beatitudes, that's not about doing, that's about being. Right? Jesus goes after the heart because he understands until the heart is changed, it doesn't matter what we do. He's not into behavior modification. He's into heart transformation. So he spends a lot of time, and today's no different. In fact, in our text today, Jesus seems to assume three things that his followers should already be doing, and then he specifically addresses our motives, our motives, our heart motives for doing them. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he says this, watch out. So that's how he starts. I mean, this isn't the beginning of the sermon, because that'd be really awkward. But it's like he just transitions from what he just said in chapter 5, and he had a lot to say in chapter 5. And he starts here with, watch out. 
So right out of the gate, there's this, this warning that's coming against this possible temptation or this potential trap in our own lives. What's the warning? Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. To which we would say, why else would we do them? <laughs> Come on. You've been there. Why else would I do good deeds if no one's going to pat me on the back for doing my good deeds, right? Jesus knew the danger in us doing good deeds for others is that it will eventually, ultimately make us feel good about ourselves, and it will make others admire us. And that's a dangerous place for us to be very long, sitting under the applause of men is a dangerous place for the Christian to sit. He goes on to say in verse 1, you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. If what you seek is admiration from others, then that is all you will receive, is what Jesus is saying. The Father does not reward bad motives no matter how good the deed. Did you hear that? God does not reward bad motives no matter how good the deed. All right, let's go on, verse 2. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward that they will get. Again, Jesus says, if attention's what you seek, attention's all you're going to gain. Verse 3. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. I love the King James where it says openly. I love that. You give privately, and God rewards you openly. Mm. Verse 5. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth. That is all the reward that they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. Don't be like that. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Pray like this. We know this text. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then hear Jesus here. This is the ultimate golden, or the gospel rule. I'm sorry, this is the ultimate gospel rule. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. Tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. You see the theme here in Jesus' sermon? But when you fast, comb your hair. When you fast, wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. 
May we learn from it what you want us to know today. May we be obedient in whatever you ask us to do. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So our text here, the first 18 verses of chapter 6, is pretty self-explanatory. Jesus is, he speaks plainly here in this text for his audience to understand, so there's no need for maybe deeper understanding or no need to dig deeper for um, Greek words that would help us understand what we just read it. We understand what Jesus is after here. There is no greater meaning or understanding beyond what Jesus is saying. The message is clear. We just need to take some notes of a few observations I think that Jesus brings to our mind here this morning. So two observations, that's it. All right. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. Our first observation is to notice the assumptions that Jesus makes towards his followers in this passage. There's some assumptions here. And you see it in his wording. Look at verse 2. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Look at verse 3. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. These are not commands from Jesus. This, Jesus is not commanding his audience to give. The assumption is they're already giving to the needy, right? As kingdom people, they're already givers. Here's some more assumptions. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly. Verse 6, but when you pray, go away by yourself. Verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles again do. Again, it's not if you pray, but when you pray. The assumption is Jesus, if you're going to follow me, you're going to pray. If you're going to do as I do, you've seen me give you this example of praying. And so obviously he's assuming they'll pray. There's more. Verse 16. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. Verse 17. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Jesus is not compelling us to do these things. The assumption is these things are already being done. Do you see that? However, it would be wise for us, since we're here, it would be wise for us to at least ask ourselves if Jesus' assumption about us here is accurate. We're not going to camp here because it's not what he's teaching, but I think it's wise for us to at least see if Jesus' assumption of us is Accurate. Are we being generous in meeting the needs of people around us? You've heard me say it once. You've heard me say it twice. You've heard me say it a thousand times, and I'm going to keep saying it. Christians should be the most generous people on the planet. I'm going to say it. If you take bless a business card, and you go to Pogues this week, and you leave that on a table, and you're not generous, and I find out there will be church discipline. <laughs> Listen, if you're cheap, don't take a card. That's it. Let's just, let's just leave it there. If you're cheap, don't leave a card on a table with our church's name on it. You leave a tip. What if they're bad? You leave a tip because God has been generous to you even when you're bad. That's what we teach. It's called gracious tipping. They don't deserve it. You don't deserve life. You can handle some burnt chicken. The worst experience of my life was in town here with some people, right? Remember that? Everybody was eating. I never got my food. Never got my food. Never. We had like 
12 people at the table. And I'm like, that's fine. Don't. It's done. We want to give it to you. Take it home. Took it home. It was not even the right order. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to tell you where. And I can promise you this. We tipped that day as much as we've ever tipped at any restaurant. I, that's not even in the sermon. It's just that when you said that this morning, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Please, please, please don't be cheap. <laughs> because, Chris, listen. You've heard me say this. I've talked to waiters. They hate Sundays because their restaurants are full of Christians and they're cheap. And we've gone broke before when I've talked to a waitress and she goes, oh, I hate Christians. Not, she didn't say it like that, but she's like, I hate waiting. And so I probably, I don't know how much we gave her, but I gave her like my whole bank account. And I was like, on behalf of all Christians, I'm sorry. Okay, I hope this, I hope this fixes it. All right, uh, off that, sorry. I promise you that was not in the notes. As Christians, we must be the most generous people on the planet. We can't help everyone. Look, but we can help someone. And just because we can't help everyone is not an excuse for us not to help someone. So how are we practicing generosity day in and day out as we bask in the generosity of our Heavenly Father? Oh, let's not be hypocrites here, church. Let's not be takers of his generosity and not be givers of his generosity. Are we, are we a praying people? Okay, let's, Jesus assumes it, but let's just ask, are we a praying people? Prayer is one of the clearest signs of where our confidence truly lies. A lack of prayer in our lives, this is, this is pretty convicting to me, a lack of prayer in our lives reveals that we have more confidence in our own ability, and we believe that in that moment we don't need God. And when we do, we'll pray. Why, don't I Why do I struggle so much to pray? Because you think you can do it without God. I promise you, if your kid ends up in the hospital on, on their deathbed, you will have no problem praying. It's when everybody's healthy. And the bank account's healthy. There is no excuse for the lack of prayer in the life of a Christian. Our Heavenly Father wants us to tell Him everything. Perhaps He is the only one on the planet that doesn't get tired of hearing us talk. And we should take advantage of that. Right? Next, Jesus assumes we fast, which is a sacrifice of some necessity of life, such as food, most often food, and then we spend more time with intentional, focused praying. We, we give up a necessity so that we can spend time focused in prayer. And out of these three disciplines mentioned here by Jesus, this is probably the one that's least practiced among the church today. It's the least practiced in my own life, probably less practiced today than ever before, and it would benefit us to take heed to Jesus' teaching today and recommit to more time of intentional fasting, whether personally or corporately. So just as I'm typing this out this week, I'm thinking, well, perhaps we should be doing more corporate fasting together as a church. Like, intentional times that we're giving up something that sustains our lives so that we can focus on the ultimate sustainer of life and plead our case and beat on the door of heaven and ask him to intervene. That was our first observation. Here's our second observation. 
first observation, there's lots of assumptions. Second observation is that Jesus is addressing the motives of our hearts above our actions in this passage. He's been doing that a lot in this sermon. But let's look at it one more time. The command is not to give or to pray or to fast here, but rather how we are to give and pray and fast. When you give, Jesus says, don't give as the hypocrites do. Don't miss that. Hypocrites give too. Do you see that in the text? Hypocrites are givers too. So what makes the difference between the church and hypocrites here? Motives. That's it. Our motives. Why we do what we do. Hypocrites give to be admired by their peers and they blow their trumpet louder and louder until they reach the level of praise that they are seeking. And Jesus says, the praise of your peers is all you will receive. So enjoy the, enjoy the hand clap or the pat on the back or the good job because that's all that's coming. There's nothing coming from your heavenly Father. Not because of the deed done, but because of the heart, the motive behind the deed done. If you want to enjoy the goodness of God interrupted, uninterrupted, then share the goodness of God consistently and quietly and watch God continue to outgive you. Read Malachi chapter 3. He literally challenges us to try to outgive God. Just try it. You just try to outgive the one who owns it all. Try it. He says this, when, Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. Again, don't miss that. Hypocrites love to pray. Hypocrites love to pray. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Verse 5, right? Instead, verse 6, when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your father in private, then your father who sees everything will reward you. This is not a verse, by the way, that condemns public praying, although many of you wish it did, right? <laughs> if there was a verse that said that you can't pray in public, you'd probably make that your life verse. Will you close us out in prayer today? I would, Pastor, but Jesus said that I'm to pray with closed doors quietly and private. So I, to obey him, to honor him today, I have to decline, right? That's what we wish that it said. Jesus is not condemning public praying here. He is condemning public praying that is motivated by our own self-glory. Now, I want to I say this because I think we're all temp we all struggle with this. But we don't struggle, struggle with it in the way the hypocrites did here in his audience. Like none of us are going to go out and stand on Main Street today and go, I want everybody to hear me. Dear God, we love you. That's not our struggle, <laughs> right? No one in this room has probably ever stood up publicly and tried to seek attention through praying loud or praying long, praying with big words. But every one of us have struggled with the tension between public praying and self-glory. Let me explain how. If you have ever been asked to pray in public and fear immediately gripped your 
soul because you were afraid, you were worried about saying the wrong thing or you were worried about what people would think about what you say, then you have struggled with self-glory. It's just the opposite side of the coin. You've never stood wanting people to admire you. You've just stayed quiet because you're afraid they won't admire you. It's the same thing. It's because we are more concerned about self-glory than God's glory. Jesus says in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are going to be answered merely by repeating their words again. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. God is good. God is good. God is good. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. And you're like, man, he's really spiritual. And the truth is, we just repeat those words so long, they just become shallow. They're just words without meaning. And we're probably, <laughs> the greatest struggle we probably have with this is prayers over meals. Because we got that baby memorized. <laughs> Thank you for this food, amen. And we didn't, we didn't once in that prayer focus on him or the food or Thanksgiving. We just went through the ritual. Thank you for the food, amen. Guilty. Anybody else? So often, if we're not careful, our prayers can become meaningless because they just, they're words, and there's no meaning, there's no feeling, there's no thought behind them. They're just words that we've trained ourselves like we train our dogs. It's just words that we've trained ourselves to say at the right and proper times. Hmm. God forgive us. Verse 8 says, don't be like those Gentiles that just babble on and on. And then, this is so comforting to me. For your father already knows. Hey, whatever it is you need, whatever it is that you're broken about, before you even get to the throne, he already knows. He already knows what you need. That's very comforting to me. And then he says, pray like this. And then Jesus in verses 9 through 13 teaches us how to pray. And we've done an entire series on that. I'm not sure if it's still on our website, but if it is, you can go find it and so we're not going to unpack it this morning, but I do want to, let's just walk through this real quick. Pray, pray like this. Jesus says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. So Jesus is teaching us to start our prayer out with proper posturing, right? We are the creation. He is the creator. Let's not get that backwards. We don't get to, God, you will, <laughs> right? No, it's us coming before a holy God, Right? May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying to a sovereign Lord who has already ordained. He already has an ordained plan, and we just need to submit to it. Give us today the food we need. We're praying to our great provider. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're praying to our great redeemer. We don't, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. We're praying to our great deliverer. When teaching someone how to pray here at Journey, we use two models. We use the Lord's Prayer, these scriptures, and we'll walk them through that. Or we simply, at first, if they're new Christians especially, we'll say, hey, Philippians 4, 6, man, just go there. And Paul gives a beautiful model of how we are to pray. And I love it. And we're just going to put it on the screen in case you don't remember it. Here's Paul's model for praying. Don't worry about anything. Great. Okay. Instead, pray about everything. Okay. Paul, how do we do this? Really simple. Just tell God what you need and thank God for what he's done. 
That's all you need to pray. Tell God what you need. Thank God for what he's done. And in the thanking, you will be given faith because you're reminded of his faithfulness that he's came through in the past. He will come through for your need now. Do you see that? Beautiful. I don't know how to pray. Do you know what you need? Yeah. You know how to pray. You don't need fancy words. You don't know propitiation. Okay, Brad? You don't need that word in every prayer. Tell God what you just told me. Tell, tell God what you need. And by the way, spend some time thanking him for what he's already done in your life. That's it. All right, we'll move on. Uh, we don't need to be fancy. don't need to be long. It just needs to be genuine. Jesus would rather have three words from you than three minutes from you if it's genuine. Okay? It's just like Bible study. Quantity. No, quality over quantity. Quantity over quality. Quality over quantity. Okay, I'm going to stop saying that because I get it wrong every time. He already knows, so just lay it at his feet. There's no one to impress. Just creation communing with creator. It's a beautiful gift that he's given us. And then verse 16, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable. <laughs> really? I mean, oh my fasted so hard today, man. Oh, so spiritual. You know, we're like, I don't know. I don't understand how this happens. But it's just, Jesus is talking into this audience because it's become a big show. It's become, it's become a big show. The more, the more it looks like I'm suffering for Jesus, the more people are going to think, man, he's really spiritual, right? Yeah. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they're ever going to get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and then I love this. Do not miss this. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father. When no one notices us except our Heavenly Father, we have been noticed by the only one that matters. And we live for the reward of our Heavenly Father alone. Everything we do, the giving, the praying, the fasting, may it all be his, for His glory. Because He is the reason why we do what we do. So here's our big idea of this morning. This is what I want you to leave remembering from this sermon. One line. We can either live for the admiration of people or the adoration of our Lord. But we can't do both. We can live for the admiration of people or we can live for the adoration of God, but we cannot do both and we must choose and to sit in the chair of God's kingdom, we must choose the audience of one. To God be the glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, help our hearts declare that Jesus be our all in all.
May our only motive be to reflect him more and more through our everyday lives as we die to ourselves daily so that we can be fully alive in you. We don't want to be like the hypocrites. We've done that enough. We want to display you well through genuine, intentional relationship. We don't want to become too familiar with your glory that we take, take it for granted. It's not ours to touch. Oh, but God, may it be what we live for. Every day, whether we eat or drink or walk or talk, in every relationship, in every conversation, your glory, may it be the center of why we do what we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. 